Um, can I get you all just to close your eyes for a second? Close your eyes. Can I ask you, firstly, just to pray for me as I preach? May I please also ask you to pray for yourselves and each other as you hear God's word. Last week, um, I began my sermon with an embarrassing confession. I have another one. I hope you're not sick of my embarrassing confessions. Um, I'm a bit of a junkie when it comes to political commentary. It's pretty nerdy, isn't it? I'm one of those people who watch, you know, much to the chagrin of my daughter and wife, about 10 versions of the news each day different channels just to make sure I get all the right perspectives. Um, I listen to political commentary on the radio in the morning. Uh, I even have a soft spot for uh, Time magazine and the quarterly essay. Um, often political, like there's a, lot that, there's a lot that political commentators talk about, but basically they're, they're all interested in one thing really, and that is who do you want to lead us? What makes a good leader? Yeah? And who do we want to lead us? And this is the question which we encounter in our passage this morning from the Gospel of Matthew as we read about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Who do we want to lead us? And this question is not about, like, funding roads and schools and hospitals. This question is actually about what sort of lives do we want to live? What are the priorities and values that we want to have in our lives? And not only what sort of lives do we want to live, but what sort of deaths do we want to die? So this question, who do we want to lead us, in the context of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is massively important. So I encourage you to join with me as we travel with Jesus and his disciples uh, as they enter Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover for the last time and for Jesus to die on the cross and rise to new life. So, picture this. Jesus and his disciples are travelling from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, Jericho is about 30 k's from Jerusalem. So, it's a day trip, yeah? So, they get up in the morning and they hit the road to leave Jericho and go to Jerusalem. And while they're travelling on this road to Jerusalem, there's a buzz in the air. There's an air of excitement. Because it's Passover time, and Passover is a massive celebration for the Jewish people. There are people from all over Judea travelling into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover at that time, on that weekend. And not just people from Judea, but people 
from the north of Israel as well. They're making their way in. And not just people from Judea and Israel, but people from the Jewish diaspora all over the surrounding lands. People from Turkey, people from North Africa, people even from as far as Greece. They are all travelling into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover that weekend. And so the roads leading into Jerusalem are filled with pilgrims and Jerusalem itself is filled with pilgrims as well. And so they're walking on this road and they're walking and they're walking and they're walking. And eventually it gets towards the end of the day and they've finally made it near Jerusalem. And the road starts to go uphill. So they're walking uphill, walking uphill, and they get to the top of a hill, which is called the Mount of Olives. And in the distance before them, they can see the Kindron Valley leading into Jerusalem. And because they're so close to Jerusalem, there's heaps of pilgrims at that point, and perhaps even in the distance, they can see the city is buzzing with activity from all the people who were there to celebrate Passover. And so when they get to the top of the hill, Jesus turns to two of his disciples and he says to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And so Matthew tells us that Jesus did this to fulfill a prophecy. This is what Matthew writes. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus, you know, stops at the top of the hill with his disciples and two of them head off to fetch this donkey while Jesus and the rest of his disciples wait for them to return with the donkey. And so this is the first point that I want to commend to you from our account of the triumphal entry. Who do we want to rule us? Well, we want the ruler who has been sent from God. We want the ruler who has been sent from God. You see, about 500 years before that day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the prophet Zechariah had a prediction, a prophecy about a king, a king of the Jews who would come to Jerusalem. And Zechariah's prophecy described how this king of the Jews would enter Jerusalem. This is what Zechariah wrote about 500 years before Jesus entered the city on that day. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Oh, sorry, wrong one. <laughs> we'll get to that one later. I was thinking to myself, that's not Zechariah. Yeah, here we go. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Here it is. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. Isn't that amazing? 500 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem, the prophet Zechariah had a premonition from God about Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey on that day. Isn't that amazing? That's what God can do. Zechariah wasn't the only one who had a prediction about this king of the Jews entering into Jerusalem. The prophet Isaiah also had a, a prediction about it. This is what we read. And this, is, this prophecy is even older than Zechariah's prophecy. It's at least 500 years old, but it could even be as old as 700 years. Set at least, could be 700 years before Jesus entered on that day. This is what the prophet Isaiah saw. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Pass through. Pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise the banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your saviour comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called a holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called, sought after, the city no longer deserted. Isn't that amazing? So, not just Zechariah, 500 years, had this premonition about a king entering Jerusalem on a donkey, but Isaiah, possibly 700 years earlier, also had a premonition about a king entering Jerusalem and showing the glory of God. Read crucifixion, yeah? So, when we consider that Jesus entered Jerusalem in a way that fulfilled prophecies that were written hundreds of years before that actually happened, we can have confidence that Jesus is the ruler who was sent from God. Because Jesus fulfills these prophecies, he confirms his identity as the ruler who was sent from God. Now, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, okay, Chris, that's, I get that. Jesus was the ruler who was sent from God. What's, what's so good about that? What's so good about being a ruler who was sent from God? God loves us. And God wants 
what's best for us. And the ruler who God sends is the ruler who is best for us because God loves us and wants what's best for us. Let me explain it to you through this analogy, right? Just picture this in your mind. Imagine that you are travelling in a foreign country and this country is not very well developed, okay? And while you're travelling around this foreign country, you get sick. You get really sick. And the problem is that there aren't the right sort of doctors in this country to give you the sort of specialist treatment that you need. But the other problem is, you are so sick, you can't leave the country to go to the doctors that you need to go to. So on the one hand, you need specialist treatment, but on the other hand, you can't travel to get the specialist treatment that you need. And so what happens is that your friends and your family, they do some research, they raise some money, and they send a specialist doctor to you. Now, you can have confidence that this doctor is going to treat you well, not only because of the skills that this doctor has, but more importantly to that, this is the doctor that your friends and family have sent to you. You can trust the doctor that your friends and family have sent to you because you know your friends and family love you and they want what's best for you. And they're not going to send you some sort of dodgy doctor, right? It's the same with God. God has sent Jesus. Jesus is the ruler God has sent to us. And we can have confidence that this ruler is good for us because we have confidence in God and God's love and concern for us. So who do we want to rule us? We want the ruler who is sent from God. Now, in this day and age, it's easy to, to have doubts about God and what God, what good God is doing in our lives. Only yesterday there was another terrorist shooting in France where three people died and I think 16 people were injured. Christians around the world continue to be persecuted for their faith. Last week we had bushfires in Victoria and New South Wales and last night we had cyclones in the north of Australia. Our temptation during this time of suffering is to doubt God, is to say, what, God, what are you doing? But I want to encourage you that in the face of, this, of these trials, not to doubt God, but to trust God more. To trust that God has sent his chosen ruler into the world, that this chosen ruler has established his rule and that we are waiting for the fulfilment of his rule to be complete. Yeah? Because if we read the scriptures, particularly if we read other parts of Matthew 
if we read from the book of Revelations, if we read from some of the prophets like the book of Daniel, we will see that God has told us that actually things are going to get a bit worse before they get better. So, if we see things happening around the world which are testing, that's actually fulfilling what God has said. God did say that, yeah, actually things are going to get a bit worse before they get a bit better. And if you want to talk more about that, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk with you about that after the service. So rather than being filled with doubt, I want to encourage you to trust in the ruler that God has sent us, that this is Jesus Christ, and that everything is happening in accordance with the plan that he's laid out before us, and the plan he has told us about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years as written in the scriptures. So that's the first point. Who do we want to, who do we want to rule us? We want the ruler who is sent from God. Let's move on to the second point. The second point that we see in, in our passage is we want the ruler who has the right attitude towards God. So let's get back to our story. Jesus and his disciples, they've made it finally to the top of the Mount, of Mount of Olives and they've sent two disciples away in a village up ahead to fetch a donkey and a donkey's colt, right? And so these two disciples, they head down to the village and, hey, it's exactly what Jesus said. There's a donkey and there's the little colt of the donkey. So it's the mum with her baby, right? And so they go and they untie the mother donkey and the baby donkey and they take the donkey and the baby back to where Jesus is on top of the mountain. And when they get to the top of the mountain, they put the mount, sorry, the Mount of Olives, they put blankets on the little baby donkey and they put Jesus on top of the little baby donkey so he can sit on it. And like that, they finish their, their day-long journey into Jerusalem with Jesus sitting on this little baby donkey. And in those days, it's interesting because... The reason why they've got the mother there, by the way, is so that the little baby doesn't get scared. If you took the baby away from its mother, it would freak out. So they've kept the mother there, but Jesus is sitting on the colt. For those of you who are interested in those sorts of details about animal behaviour. Um, anyway, the reason, the, the thing is that, um, you see, the people who rode on donkeys were priests, merchants, leaders who were preeminent in the community, but kings didn't ride on donkeys, yeah? Kings rode on horses or chariots, not donkeys. And so we've got this strange image here. Jesus is riding on a donkey, but as he gets close to Jerusalem, people start shouting out to him this word, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise to the son of David. I'll read out exactly what Matthew writes them saying. This is what Matthew records them saying. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You see, Hosanna 
is a word that means um, save us in Hebrew. It's like save us now. So it's it's a exaltation. It's a word of praise, but it's also a petition. So and people used to say that to kings. Yeah. So if you saw a king, you would say to the king, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. So you're recognising that the king is exalted enough to save you, but you're also asking the king to save you. And so here is the kind of conflicting image that we have. On the one hand, the people are calling Jesus, they're calling out to Jesus as if he was a king, but on the other hand, Jesus isn't coming into the city as a king, he's coming into the city in a more humble way. He's coming riding on, on a baby colt. And so this is the image, this is the sort of servant leadership that Jesus wants to portray. You see, Jesus isn't an arrogant king, Jesus is a humble king. Jesus isn't an arrogant king, Jesus is a servant king, yeah? It's those two conflicting, they're not really conflicting, they sort of resonate with each other in Jesus. So who do we want to rule us? We want the ruler who has the right attitude towards God. We want this humble king to rule us. We want this servant king to rule us. Everyone is subject to the authority and power of God. And those who have been apportioned responsibility and power must realise this. It's easy for people to fool themselves into thinking that the responsibility and authority that they have comes from themselves, when really all authority and responsibility come from God, who has authority over all things. Mm. And ultimately, God is all-powerful, and the power that we have in this life comes from Him. The prophet Daniel writes, this is the bit that I started reading before, uh, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with Him. You see, Jesus, who has authority over heaven, over earth, and over everything under the earth, Jesus knows this the most. And Jesus is the greatest example of obedience to God. Through his servant leadership, through his example of obedience, Jesus clearly shows us that all power and authority comes from God. He models obedience to God for us. So who do we want to rule us? We want the one who has the right attitude towards God. 
So let me ask you a question. How do you exercise obedience and reliance on God with the responsibilities that you have in your life? What are the responsibilities that you have in your life? Do you have responsibilities in your household? Do you have responsibilities in your workplace? Perhaps in your school? Perhaps in your club or uh, social group that you are a part of? Do you pray about the decisions and responsibilities that you have? Do you, in practice, show that you rely on God to exercise those responsibilities? Do you turn to God for direction and instruction? Do you look at the Scriptures, God's Word, for guidance? Do you seek the wise counsel of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you? You see, this is how we can exercise obedience to God with the responsibilities that God has given us in our lives. And it's incumbent on us to acknowledge that the responsibilities and power and authority that we have in our lives ultimately come from God. And so we need to look to God for guidance with those responsibilities. By coming into Jerusalem as a king, riding on a donkey, Jesus demonstrates for us his humble reliance on God the Father. He shows us that he is the right king of the world because he has the right attitude towards God. We may not be kings, but we all have responsibilities and it's incumbent on us to rely on God and be obedient to God with these responsibilities. Let's move to our third and final point. Who do we want to rule us? We want the ruler who will truly save us, regardless of what people say. So let's go back to our story and find out how it ends. So Jesus and his disciples, they're riding into Jerusalem. Jesus is sitting on this colt and people are saying to Jesus, Hosanna, son of David. They're lifting up branches. They're putting like blankets and branches on the road. And Jesus is like walking in or riding in like this humble king. And people see Jesus and lots of people recognise him because by this stage, he's been travelling around, uh, teaching people, healing people, um, performing miracles. He's been doing that in the region of Judea, which is in the south of Israel, near Jerusalem. But he's also been doing it in the north, in Galilee, where he's from. And so people are asking each other, who's that guy? And they're like, oh, that's Jesus. He's that prophet from Galilee. And it's kind of a comedy of errors because it's really funny, isn't it? Like, Jesus is riding in as a king. They're all calling out to Jesus as a king. 
But when they're asked, who is this person? They don't say, he's the king of Israel. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for all these years. They say, he's a prophet. Now, prophet's pretty good, but, I mean, like, it's not the Messiah, yeah? They don't recognise his true identity. They think he's just a prophet. They don't realise that this is no prophet. This is a king. And this is no ordinary king, but this is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's where our story ends. And so, the final point that I want to commend to you is, who do we want to rule us? We want the ruler who will truly save us despite the opinions of others. How tragic that even though people called out to Jesus as a king, they didn't realise that he was actually the king of kings. How tragic that the priests, the scribes, the Levites, the rabbis, these people who were the religious rulers of the day, who had poured over the scriptures for years and years, these people who knew all the scriptures, they knew them off by heart. And they didn't just know the scriptures, they knew what different people said about the scriptures. They could tell you, oh, Rabbi Gamaliel said in 1800, blah, 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 blah. You know, they could, they could give you running commentaries about different ways in which the scriptures could be interpreted. They knew these things perfectly. They knew the scriptures perfectly. How tragic that even though they knew these things so well, they could not recognise the Messiah when he was standing in front of them in the flesh. The Messiah that they were waiting for was there in front of them. And despite all of their religious knowledge, they could not recognise him. Sometimes it can seem like God is hard to recognise. But God doesn't hide from us. What we see in this account is that it's not God who is hiding from the people, it's the hardness of their hearts. The reason, I mean, you know, these people knew the Scriptures. They were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah came, he was there. And yet they couldn't recognise him. You see, God wasn't hiding from them. It was because of the hardness of their own hearts that they failed to, to recognise him. When God showed up, he wasn't the God that they wanted. You see, Jesus, he wasn't a military leader. He wasn't born from the right family, although ironically he was actually a descendant of David. But they didn't think he was born from the right family. He didn't go to the right, you know, rab rabbinic school. 
and have the right teachers. He wasn't born in the right place. He was from Galilee, which is the middle of nowhere. You see, he wasn't the king that they wanted, even though it was the king that God sent to them. You might be a person who doesn't believe in God or in Jesus Christ. And you have considered the facts, you have considered the scriptures, and they remain uncompelling to you. Can I ask you a question? Do you really want to see God? In your heart of hearts, are you really genuinely open to seeing God? Do you really have a thirst and a desire to see God? Or are you, in practice, closing your heart even before you've considered God? Have you considered the God that we as Christians talk about and have found this God uncompelling. Is that because you're trying to dictate the sort of God you want? Are you, in effect, trying to dictate what you think God should be like rather than being open to what God wants to be like? I think those are questions worth asking if you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Jesus Christ. You might be a person, on the other hand, you might be a person who truly does believe in God, but you are suffering from the persecution of people around you. You have people around you saying to you things like, there's no such thing as God, there's no evidence for it. What are you talking about? Haven't we already proved, um, I heard one guy say, I thought we already disproved the existence of God as if it was some sort of, um, you know, scientific inquiry. Do you have people saying to you things like, oh, religion's just a crutch, it's just a crutch that people have because they can't really deal with the fact that they're going to die and there's nothing after death. Well, let me put this to you if you find yourself in those situations. In Jesus' day, the scribes and the rabbis and the priests, they knew the Scriptures perfectly. They were waiting for the Messiah and when the Messiah was in front of them, they didn't recognise him. Are you surprised that in this day and age, 2,000 years after Jesus was on earth, that people who have expertise in history, science, psychology, sociology, philosophy, things completely unrelated to God, don't believe in the existence of God? I mean, if the experts on God didn't recognise 
God when he was in front of them, how can people who have no expertise or no knowledge of God, 2,000 years after God was on the earth, be expected to say anything of use about God? You see, I'm not suggesting that you should ignore what people with different, you know, different expertise have to say about these things. I'm just saying, just keep it with a grain of salt, okay? A person might be an expert in history, it's got nothing to do with God. A person might be an expert in archaeology, it's got nothing to do with God. Science, psychology, sociology, philosophy, okay? That's not, that's not about God, that's about other things. And so don't be surprised if people with no expertise in that area have come to the conclusion that, that there's no such thing as God. They have probably confused the nature of their own expertise. So, who do we want to rule us? We want the king who is sent from God. We want the king who has the right attitude towards God. And we want the king who will truly save us despite what people say. This king is not so much interested in taxes and rights and infrastructure, he's ultimately interested in the things that matter most his eternal kingdom and making sure all of the saints can be given a part of it.